Let's welcome Clyde. Shall we come to speak? Good morning. It's great to be in the house of God on a Friday morning. Um, who's took the day off work to be here? Awesome. Praise God. That's good. What's that? Yeah, we just clap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, how many were here last night? Who, who, let me do it the other way around. Who wasn't here last night? Okay, quite a few. Okay. Last night we talked about platform and influence and how God wants all of us, irrespective of where we find ourselves in life, irrespective of whether we are in Christ or out of Christ at the moment, he has a destiny and a calling on each one of our lives. And it was a joy uh, to, to minister to you last night. And um, thank you so much for those that were here and, and those that have made the effort to, to be here this morning. Um, before we get into the word, let me again thank Mike and Ben and the team and everyone else involved for organizing the conference and for allowing us to come and to speak and trust it's going to be a blessing to you as we go through. I know that my wife and I got back to the hotel last night and we, we, were, we were so blessed by being here. And we were chatting about, you know, the, the church and just Lowestoft and the, the place. And there's just such a sense of joy in this house. And that is a good thing because too many churches have no joy. Let's just be honest about that. And we have to fight. We have to fight for things, don't we, in the church? We have to fight for unity because the devil wants to divide. And we have to fight for things like joy and peace because the devil doesn't want us to have joy because joy is infectious. Amen? Joy makes us attractive. How many of you want to be attractive to the world? Yes, we do. We don't want to repel the world. We want to draw the world to Christ. And um, so we're going we're gonna to continue this morning. Um, going to do something a little bit different this morning. Was going to continue from last night. But just as we were worshipping, um, really felt this word on my heart. If you've got a Bible, turn to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, the book of Jeremiah. And um, this book is an amazing book in the Bible. And uh, if you've never read the book of Jeremiah, I would encourage you to take some time out and, and to read it. But we're going to be looking at chapter 12. Jeremiah tw chapter 12. And in particular, verse, verse 5. Okay. It says this. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? If in the land of peace in which you trusted, they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? That's an amazing verse, isn't it? This is God speaking to Jeremiah, just to give you the, the context of it. God is in conversation with Jeremiah, and these words come forward. Let me give you it from a slightly different translation, a more modern one. Uh, this is from the message version of the Bible, and it says this. So, Jeremiah, if you're worn out in this foot race with men... What makes you think that you can run with horses, against horses? And if you can't keep your wits during times of calm, what's going to happen when troubles break loose like the Jordan in flood? Wow! This is a powerful statement. 
I'm sure that many of you are familiar with this verse and this concept. But you know, for those of you that aren't, maybe you're in here this morning and you've never read the book of Jeremiah. Maybe you're looking back at me and you're thinking, well, who, who the heck is Jeremiah? Well, Jeremiah was a prophet. He was a man who got the, the amazing gift and the amazing calling, someone who would speak for God on behalf of the nation. Jeremiah was called to do great things for God. But if you don't know anything about Jeremiah this morning, then hopefully by the end of this message, you'll know a little bit about Jeremiah. But, but perhaps even more importantly than that, God may speak to you about your situation and your life. We all go through tough times. I can guarantee you this, without being a prophet of doom, there are bad times ahead. It could be tomorrow. I remember one time my, my wife and I, we were, we were planting a church out of victory in, in, in one of the areas called Ponty Preeth. And we were up there and my wife this night had stayed home and, and I'd gone up there to preach. And it was about an hour long journey. And uh, I don't know whether you've ever spoken publicly before, but I had my, my phone on the pulpit. I don't do it anymore for this reason, by the way, but I had my phone on the pulpit. And midway through the, the message that I was preaching, I was preaching about how bad things happen to good people and how good things happen to bad people as well. And uh, as I was speaking, I got to the point in my sermon where it was like, um, you know, at any moment, guys, at any moment, something bad could happen. At any moment, our life can be interrupted. And at that very moment, my phone beeped on the pulpit. And I looked down. Emergency was all I saw on the front. Explanation mark, explanation mark. We'd just moved into a house in Cumbran. And my wife thought it good to... Am I allowed to tell her? You know, it's too late now. It's already out. You want to hear it anyway, don't you? <laughs> Well, we had no carpet because we'd just moved in on the stairs and um, there was a little nail sticking up. And, you know, if you see a little nail sticking up, what do you want to do? You want to bang it in. So she thought, without a man in the house, I'll bang it in. <laughs> Sorry, ladies. She got the hammer. She banged it in. And all of a sudden, there was a stream of water because the nail had gone through the hot water pipe. Not knowing what to do, she texts me saying emergency, and I was an hour away. Thank God the house didn't get too flooded, and we were able to get some help. But at any moment, guys, our life can be interrupted because we are living in an uncertain world. The only thing that is certain in this world is Jesus. The only thing, the only person that we can truly depend and rely on is Jesus. God, when he comes into our lives, he gives us certainty amongst uncertainty. So that even when the trials come, even when we are called to go deeper and further than we've ever gone before, even when we're called to dig deeper in terms of strength and courage than we've ever gone before, he is already preparing us for that. And that is what this scripture is all about. Let me just remind you of something in Jeremiah 1 verse 5. It's a scripture that we quote so often. But Jeremiah, right at the beginning of the book, was told, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you, Jeremiah, in the womb, God says, I already knew you. 
And you could say that of, of me and you today. God would say before we were ever conceived, before it happened, before that moment of intimacy happened that caused us to be conceived, he already knew us. We were already part of his story. You know, when Jesus hung on the cross, I love this. When Jesus hung on the cross, he didn't just die for those who were around the cross at that time. He died for past, present, and future. He died for all of us. He died for all mankind so that every one of us could find hope and certainty in a world of uncertainty. It goes on in that scripture, 1 verse 5, to say, before you were born, I sanctified you. Wow. Man. You mean in here this morning, God ha already has a plan to sanctify me? Do you know what that means? It means to make you holy. It means to change you throughout your life, to be more like Jesus. Yeah, he already has a plan for that. You know, when we feel like giving up, like we can't make the mark, like we can never be the kind of Christian that's going to really impact the world, God already has a plan. He already has a purpose. He already has a way. He already has the people and the things in place that we need to grow in our level of sanctification. And then he said this, I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. We talked last night about platform and this morning, moving on from that slightly, uh, once we know our platform, we need to understand our destiny and we need to understand our calling. We need to understand what it is exactly that God is calling us to do. What is it that God is calling us as a church, I mean, nationally, internationally to do? But what is it locally he is calling us to do? And that's where our leaders come in, isn't it? Because they get vision and they get strategy and they, and they begin to scratch the itches. And together, as a, as a body of people locally, we get this awesome opportunity to impact Lowestoft and, and the nation through, through our service to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's incredible, isn't it? Isn't it incredible that me and you get a part to play in his story? You know, it really is his story. It's about what Jesus is doing. It's about the unfolding of his manifold grace and purpose. And we get to play a small part in that. Isn't that humbling? Isn't that amazing? Doesn't it amaze you that when we, when we sit here in worship and when we kneel and when, we hear great, when we're involved in great worship like we were this morning, that we are a part of his story, that we are literally worshiping the one who hung on a cross for you and me? Isn't it humbling that one died in your place and in my place? You know, Jeremiah he was a man who was sent to the nation of Israel. Why? Because God had a purpose. He had a calling on Jeremiah's life. And God has a calling on your life. He has a calling on my life. He has a calling on our lives. And he wants to release us into that this morning. I'm so glad that church is not a museum for saints, but it's a hospital for sinners. That's why whether you know anything about Jeremiah or not in here this morning, you're welcome. And when you meet people on the streets, it's not whether they know everything about Jeremiah. But the amazing thing is that we can learn lessons from the life of Jeremiah that can release us into our calling. Wow. He was ordained as a prophet to the nations. Israel was the vehicle by which God was going to bring Jesus into the world. So Israel was pretty important to God. And he had 
planned to use this man called Jeremiah to help Israel become the peculiar and distinct nation that they were called to be. But you know, the problem for Jeremiah was that Israel, just like our world today, the problem for us today is that our world is plagued with so much mess. It's plagued with idolatry. It's plagued with immorality. It's plagued with so many things that prevent people from properly seeing the purpose is in the plans of God. I was speaking last week to our church about love and how we misunderstand what real love is. Because in the 21st century, every single day, we are being bombarded with the world's idea of love. So when we come to the things of God and we begin to understand about a God who loves us enough to say no, about a God who loves us enough to not give permission to everything, then we misunderstand the character of God and we begin to make God in our own image. And that's a very, very dangerous thing to do. God loves us enough to say no. And I love what God does to Jeremiah in this passage. You see, Jeremiah lived in a world where people were worshipping things like sex, money, titles, just like today. There were people that were setting up in the things of the Spirit, the things of God. There were prophets that were, that were preaching a message that was easy and light and soft. But then God gave Jeremiah this message, which was convicting and challenging. And it was, it was from the heart of God. And it was to call a nation back to where they should be. Can I say to you today that you may think that your life is insignificant. You may think that your life doesn't have much kingdom impact. But it's never about just one of us. It's about all of us together. And do you know what? On our own, we are just like the boobs in a, in a set of Christmas lights. You take one out, we all go out. But you put them back in and we all shine really brightly because together we can do more. God uses us in different ways and that's the beautiful thing about God, but he, do, he has a calling over every one of our lives. But you see, Jeremiah was overwhelmed. He felt unfit for the call of God on his life. I don't know whether you've ever felt like that. I certainly have. Certainly at different stages of my life, even recently, we feel unfit. We feel like, God, how can you possibly put me in this situation? How can you possibly allow me to, to feel this weight or this level of, of stress or this level of anxiety? And all the time, God is saying, it is not your burden to bear. Take my yoke for it is easy. Take my burden for it is light. All the time, he just wants us to depend on Jesus. And give everything to him. That's why surrender is so important. Listen to what happened a bit more about Jeremiah. He literally was saying, God, I can't do this. He was arguing with God. If you read this context of this scripture in chapter 12, he was having an argument with God. I don't know whether you've ever done, done that. I've heard my wife arguing with God before. I never argue with God myself, but. No, but we do, don't we? As people, sometimes we don't want to listen to what God is saying. Deep down, we know what God is saying. And often he's saying, no, but we still want to do it anyway. Or he's saying, yes, and then we think, I can't do it. I don't have what it takes. I'm not the person yet. Or maybe that's ahead, or maybe that's back there, but not now, Lord. Because he loves to interrupt our world. God 
loves to interrupt us. And he was interrupting Jeremiah here, and I want you to see what he did. You see, Jeremiah, let me tell you a little bit more about him before we get really into this, was from a little place called Anathoth. When I first read that and I realized that he was from a little place called Anathoth, which was a little city outside of Jerusalem, it was this tiny, tiny place. No one ever heard of Anathoth. Everyone wanted to be in Jerusalem. You know, no one has ever heard of Qumran. Everyone wants to be in Cardiff. I remember when we moved to Wales, my wife and I, and we got the call of God and we were like, yeah, we're going to move to Wales. We know it's right. And that call has never left us. It's in us from the moment we, we stepped foot in Wales. But you know, when we moved there, I wanted to live in Cardiff because it's a city. I didn't want to live in Cumbran. And you know, before we even got to Cumbran, we lived in a little place called Abateleri. Have you ever heard of Abateleri? No, I mean, if anyone has ever heard of Abitilari, Anathoth. Everyone wanted to be in Jerusalem. Everyone wanted to do something for God in Jerusalem, but no one wanted to be in Anathoth. It's a bit like when Jesus came. What good can come from Bethlehem? I mean, what good can come out of a tiny little place like that? But you know what? God loves to take little insignificant looking people, little insignificant looking things. He loves to take the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He loves to take someone that could never do anything ordinarily on their own. And he loves to transform them by his grace and for his glory. And he loves to make much of their lives. God loves to do things with insignificant places. Maybe you're in here today and you think that about Lowestoft. I mean, I don't know much about Lowestoft, but I know this. I hadn't really heard of the place before until Die Pike came to our church. We love Die Pike. Who, who, who knows David here? I mean, he was your pastor, wasn't he, for quite a while. He's a great guy. He sends his regards to you all. And um, I know he has a deep love for you guys, but he was always telling me about Lowestoft. Because Lowestoft had gripped his heart. And God wants the place where we are to grip our heart. He wants the place where we are planted to grip our heart. And he wanted Jeremiah to understand that this had nothing to do with the reputation of Anathoth. But this had everything to do with the heart of Jeremiah when he was in Anathoth. This tiny little place, God wanted to put it on the map. You see, we always have to start where we are when it comes to calling. When it comes to calling, we always have to start when we are. I loved what one person said when they came forward to pray. It starts at the school gates. It starts in the supermarket. It starts with our colleagues at work. You know, it amazes me how so many people, they want to go on mission to Africa. Listen, I'm not against mission. I love mission. But I can remember when I was at Bible college, all these people, oh, they wanted to go to Africa and they wanted to go to India and they wanted to go to Pakistan and they wanted to, you know, preach the gospel to thousands of Muslims. But you ask them to come out in Retford, which was down the road, and, and preach the gospel to some people that were actually in our locality and they were hesitant. It was like, oh, I don't know if I'm prepared for that. Well, if you're not prepared for that, how are you prepared to go overseas to the, to the foreign tribes? You see, God wants us to start where we are. And yes, that may be not the ultimate destination, but unless we start where we are, we don't give God a chance to tune us 
and to fine tune us and to make us sound amazing and to make us our lives incredible before him. We talked about that last night, how God wants to make a star out of us. He wants us to shine brightly. If all as we're ever doing is looking for the future blessing, then we don't give God a chance to form us and shape us where we are right now and to make a star out of us right now. Thing is with Jeremiah, no one ever gave him an offering. <laughs> I mean, I mean, his own family hired an assassin to kill him. Now, that sounds far-fetched, doesn't it? I mean, but you know the church does that all the time. We kill our own. We destroy our own. We assassinate one another when we forfeit unity. When we'd rather go our own way instead of just joining hearts with what God is doing and saying, God, we are in it together. This is about the kingdom of God. It's not just about our little place, whether that's Anathoth, Lowestoft, or Cumbran. It's not just about our little place. It's about what God is trying to do on a bigger scale because we are all a part of his story. We all get to be a part of his story. It's an unfolding story of the grace of God on each one of our lives, and everyone has a part to play. There were false prophets, and they were speaking a message of peace and safety. It's a bit like today, where the gospel has been watered down. We no longer hear about the blood of Jesus. We no longer hear about the fire of God. And I know, thank God that you do. But take it from me. There are thousands of Christians out there today who are suffering because they don't hear the real gospel anymore. And you know what? The gospel, when it's changed, is no longer good news because it no longer has any power inherent within it. The power of the gospel is the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for the sins of mankind. The power of the gospel opens the way for the fire of the Holy Spirit to come upon a man or a woman or a boy or a girl's life and empowers them to be the kind of person that can bring change, that can literally calculate change and facilitate change for the kingdom of God. I tell you, a bloodless gospel is no gospel at all. It might be politically correct to remove the blood of Jesus, but I tell you, it's not kingdom correct. The kingdom of God must make much of the blood of Jesus Christ because it is a blood-stained kingdom. It has a king with pierced hands at at the helm. It's interesting, isn't it, that even in the resurrection, the pierced hands of Jesus were still visible to Thomas. Why? Because there's something powerful about the blood of Jesus. There's something that God wants us to see. Even in eternity, he wants us to be dependent on that blood. He wants us to be dependent on that blood in our communities. You know, what is it that can make a sinner clean? The blood. It's not great church programs. It's not great preaching. It's not wonderful music or anything like that. It's not by having the most great building. It's simply the blood of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. The amount of people that we've seen saved and you've seen saved. I've heard some of the stories from your movement and they're incredible. And thank God for that. But let me tell you one story about a young girl who came into church. Last year, 
she came in with two of her sisters. And um, this family were renowned in the town. One of them was literally almost on the brink of getting expelled from school. And the other two twin sisters were professional footballers for Wales. All as they loved in life was football. They didn't really like school. Their family was notorious as being a really bad family, really bad home. Not a lot going for them. And uh, my wife's sister was in a hairdresser's in town. She was having a haircut. And this family was so notorious that the, the woman that was cutting my wife's sister's hair began to tell her about this family who were causing so much chaos and trouble in Cumbran. Began to relay some of the things that, that the notorious things that this family had done. Little did she know that those three girls from that notorious family just a few weeks before had stepped foot into our church in the middle of the outpouring. They'd just come in every night, stand at the back, they give their lives to Jesus, and they just got on with it. And every single night they were just in church, in church, in church, hearing the gospel, hearing about the blood of Jesus, hearing about how their sins could be forgiven, hearing about how there was a hope and a better life ahead of them. And then one night, it was last July, I can remember it so clearly. We had Nathan Morris with us. I don't know whether you've heard of Nathan Morris. Many of you will have. And he was with us. It was the middle of the outpouring. And um, this, is, this is what I saw. This is, this is what happened. He'd finished preaching and he was praying for people and we were praying for people and there was people absolutely everywhere. It was packed. And this girl, this sister, who most people would have thought never would come into a church or respond to the gospel, was on the floor. And she, she had her hands like that. And she was crying out to God. And she was saying, God, no more. No more of your presence. No more of your glory. No more of your weight. I can't take any more. I, 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 that's, that's the way I can describe it. That's what was happening to her on the floor. She got up off the floor and she was radiating. She went home to her mom who had a blood condition. She laid her hands on her mom and her mom was healed that very night of the blood condition that she had. But this is why it's so amazing about that. That girl encountered the power of God. She encountered the weight of God's glory. And it wasn't because of anything special. Seriously. It was not because of anything special. Many of you visited our church. There's nothing special about our church. Just a warehouse. But we preach the blood of Jesus. We lift up the blood of Jesus. We speak about the fire of God. We expect the fire of God to fall. And that night, the weight of glory, she, she describes it like this. She said, I literally couldn't contain any more of God, even though everything inside of me wanted more. Wow. Wouldn't you love an experience of God like that? Wouldn't you love an encounter with God like that? It starts with us. This message that they preached when Jeremiah was around wasn't like that. But Jeremiah was called to bring the nation of Israel back to a place of righteousness, holiness, and truth. He was called to preach the full counsel, if you like. And today, we need to proclaim all of the counsel of God. We don't need half a gospel. We need the full gospel. So there are a lot of similarities. 
Here's five takeaway points for you this morning. Number one, God was saying to Jeremiah, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet, Jeremiah. Lowest stuff, you ain't seen nothing yet because when God gets involved, I tell you, you may think that you are only capable of a certain amount, but God is calling you this morning to run with horses. He is calling you this morning to take on a challenge that you don't think is possible because the kingdom of God begins with the impossible and not the possible. If a vision is only as big as we can dream and we can do and we can achieve, then God isn't involved in that yet because God gets involved when the vision and the mission is bigger than something we can achieve on our own. How many of you know that people with good planning and good motives and good team can achieve a lot together. We see that when they built the Tower of Babel, don't we? They could achieve a lot together. But when God gets involved in the life of a church, when God gets to the heart of who we are as a people and he begins to speak to us and he begins to provoke us and he begins to call the greatness out of us that he has put within us for his own glory, Then we are on mission. Then we enter into the calling that God has for us. And it is the most exciting thing in the world. You see, what Jeremiah didn't need at this point of his life was to be moddy-coddled. Jeremiah felt like giving up. He felt like quitting. And if you feel like quitting this morning, I've not come to you this morning to say, oh, there, there, just keep going. I want to do what God did to Jeremiah. And I want to remind you of the greatness of your calling. I want to remind you of the greatness of what God has put within you. I want to provoke the things of God that have been planted in your, in your soul and in your life. I want to bring them to the surface, with, not with man's wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power this morning. Why? Because God has put great things within you. God has put passion within you. God has a calling on your life and it's time to step into it, folks. You ain't seen nothing yet is what God was saying to Jeremiah. You see, God could have come to Jeremiah and said, it's okay, Jeremiah, I'll take away all the pain. How many of you know that if God wanted to, he could? And we know he will one day. Because we're going to enter eternity, all tears will go and we'll be in the joy of the Lord. But in this present season that we find ourselves in, this little window of time, and let me, let me remind you, this little window of time that we are so precious over, that we hold on to so much, that we invest so much in, is absolutely nothing compared to eternity. You know, some people say, well, eternity is from that wall to that wall, and this is time. That is stupid. Because that is completely out of balance. It's so much more than that that it's infinitely bigger. You can't measure the two because one is immeasurable. You see, our lives, we we dictate them by time and rulers and tape measures and measurements of this and clocks. And, we, and seasons. But outside of all of that is eternity. 
And God is trying to get us into eternity. He is trying to get us to live with an eternal perspective here on earth right now. How do you think that Peter could be crucified upside down for the kingdom of God when only years earlier he had denied Jesus? How do you think that Daniel in the face of the lion's den could stand there? How do you think that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego could go into that fiery furnace? How do you think that all of the martyrs in history, when they could have just denied Jesus, how do you think they went through that? It was because their lives weren't dictated by time, tape measures and rulers. But their lives were dictated by eternity. God was trying to help Jeremiah to see the greatness of his calling. You see, God's greatest desire is not to reduce our pain and suffering. Contrary to what some people say and preach in the kingdom of God today, contrary to what some people and messages come forth, God's greatest desire is not that. On the authority of God's word, that is a lie. Folks, it is a lie. Yes, God wants to heal the sick. Yes, God wants to demonstrate his kingdom. But his greatest desire is to increase our threshold for suffering. Because can I tell you something? When you accept that there is suffering in this world and that God is calling you to demonstrate courage and determination through suffering, then no matter what happens to you, you are safe because God has declared you safe. Even if you're thrown into a fiery furnace, even if all of your hope is taken away from you, even if all of your business and your money is stolen from you, you are safe because your trust is not in those things anymore. Anyway, it's in God who is unchangeable, unmovable, and the one who says, anything you lose in this lifetime, I will restore much more in eternity to come. That's an amazing truth about God right there, that his greatest desire is not to take away our suffering. Thank God that when we stretch out our hands and pray, he can relieve us, he can heal, he can help. But what about all the ones that don't get healed in this life? Were they not favored by God? Come on. The kingdom of God. When people of the kingdom understand that there is suffering in this world, then they have an even stronger message, I would suggest, to take to the lost and dying world in which we live. We're not suddenly taken out of suffering. The rain and the sun fall on us, just like it falls on the world in which we live. But thank God, we have a God who is certain. We have a God who is true and faithful to his word. See, what God was saying to Jeremiah here is, yes, it's hard now, Jeremiah, but it's going to get a lot harder. Can I say to you, as we develop in the things of the kingdom, as we take bigger risks, as we take bigger steps of faith, which hopefully we all want to do, as the calling that God has on our lives is pulled out of us more and more, as the, thing, as the Spirit of God touches our human spirit and begins to work with all of those gifts and creativity that he's put within each one of us, as he begins to mold and shape us on the potter's wheel, as he begins to form us, into the kind of people that are fit for the kingdom, that are worthy of the gospel. As he begins to do all of that, he would come to us today and say, when you take a step to me, 
it is going to be harder. Listen, we would be lying and we would be, un, we would be unreal if today, as we prayed for one another at the beginning and when we prayed for release in whatever it was you prayed for, when you take a step of faith, life does get harder. It doesn't always get easier. It doesn't always mean that things are going to be easy. In fact, it can be incredibly difficult when we step into a new realm and a new season. But God is with us and he is faithful. And he wants to remind you that your purpose is always bigger than you can dream of. And your calling is always bigger. In, in Wales, I, I prepared this message a while ago, but about a year ago, I preached it in our church. And at the time when I prepared it, I, always, I was imagining what it would be like to run against a horse. I don't know why. I just have a thing about horses. I like horses. They're, they're just brilliant. And in Wales, they have an annual horse race where men chase horses and they try and beat the horse. No one has ever won the race. Isn't it interesting that God is using a picture here that no one has ever won? No one has ever done it. In other words, God's saying, Jeremiah, look, you ain't seen nothing yet, sunshine. Wait till you step into what I've really called you to do. You're moaning now. You feel like quitting now. You feel like giving up. Just around the corner, Jeremiah, it's going to get so much harder. But guess what? I've put something inside of you that if you will rely on it and if you will depend on it, it will get you through and it will get you to the end of your life. And guess what, folks? Jeremiah didn't have much success in his life. He never got an offering. No one ever received his message. He didn't see thousands of people come back to the Lord. But guess what? what this morning we are still talking about Jeremiah in the 21st century because that man's faith and that man's courage and that man's determination to keep going when it got tough and to not give up and to rely on what God was saying to him over and above anything else means that in the in the Bible today we have this wonderful book called Jeremiah and we are able to learn from the example of Jeremiah Psalm 102 David is writing I mean you all know Psalm 23 don't you how many of you have memorized Psalm 102? Not many. You have. 102. 102. David's lifetime, he wrote so many songs to the Lord. He wrote poems. He wrote hymns. He, he wrote down his experiences with the Lord. And some of them were, were hits straight away. They're sung at every funeral. Every single funeral you go to, Psalm 23. I mean, we don't need the rest of the Bible. We'll just take Psalm 23. But Psalm 102, I forget the number of the verse, but it says this. The things I am writing now are for the future generations. Wow. David, like Jeremiah, understood that though the impact of his life may not be right now, if he just keeps doing the right thing, keeps focusing on the kingdom, on what God was calling him to do, then one day, somewhere down the line, people would be blessed by his life. You don't know the impact that your life is having right now. It feels insignificant. Maybe you're writing songs and no one's listening and no one wants to record them and no one wants you to sing them. Listen, keep writing the songs. Keep doing what God is calling you to do. Keep having the level of kingdom impact that he's giving you right now and trust him that he will make much more of the calling that he has put on your life. Number two is this. Opposition escalates with opportunity. Opposition escalates with opportunity. 
You see, God wants more people to know Jesus because of your time here on earth. Greater doors of opportunity will come, but with those doors of opportunity come doors of opposition, challenges, people opposing us, situations opposing us. And that's not always bad because, by the way, God sometimes brings people along to say, no, it's not the right time. And genuinely, it's not. But we have to be sensitive to the spirit and understand when the enemy is trying to destroy us, when the enemy is trying to halt us. Opposition was coming against Jeremiah. It's a very simple phrase. Many preachers have used this phrase, but it's so true. As God's people mobilize, so do the enemy's forces. Spiritual wickedness in high places, principalities and powers come against the church to aggress it and suppress it and restrict the kingdom impact that we can have in our lives. You know, as this conference is going on and we're talking about kingdom impact and how we can make, make heaven touch earth in the locality through our lives, I want you to know that when you set your face to that, just like Jesus, when he set his face to the cross, great opposition came against him. It's not coincidental that for 40 days in the wilderness, when he was tired and hungry, the devil came against him in great force. The devil comes in in our places of weakness. And this is why we have to be accountable to one another. This is why church is so important. Because it's not just about coming into a building once a week and then going out inspired. It's about brothers and sisters in unity together on a journey accountable with friendships, with kingdom friendships. Can I say that? Kingdom friendships that can help us when the opposition comes against us. The devil has one mission, to steal, kill, and destroy our lives. And he will not stop until he has. But God, amazingly, gives us opportunity in every single temptation, gives us a way of escape. For Jeremiah, he was lowered into a mud dungeon and they would throw bits of bread at him. Imagine that, humiliating. Have you ever felt that the enemy has humiliated you? Maybe you've tried to take a step of faith. Maybe you've tried to do something for the first time for the kingdom and you felt it was the right thing to do. Maybe give a prophecy for the first time or step up and speak for the first time or sing a song for the first time. And that subtle sense of shame and humiliation because you got it wrong came on you. The enemy. I love what Mike said. This is a place where we can make mistakes. This is a place where we can, where we can practice, where we can trip up and fall. Do you know why? Because we can all get it wrong. We can all get it wrong. Don't let the shame of getting it wrong once stop you from having another go. Don't let the embarrassment that the enemy has tried to put on you for falling or faltering stop you from getting up and trying again and taking that step of faith again. Jeremiah was being aggressively assaulted by the enemy's forces. They were joking around with him. They were playing games with him. They were aggressing against him. They were throwing stones at him and saying, have you changed your song yet? Have you changed your message yet, Jeremiah? Why don't you just stop preaching all that, 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 that hard stuff? And why don't you just come over and be like us? Have you ever felt like that in the workplace? 
Why don't you stop with all that and we'll accept you? We'll like you. We'll accept you for who you are. If you just kind of move away from that kind of straight down the line gospel. Anyone ever felt like that? I know I have. But powerful things happen when we don't. Powerful things happen when not out of arrogance, but out of love for people and the kingdom of God. We hold on to the things that are immovable. See, there are certain things in the faith that are absolutely non-negotiable. But then there are other things where we just need to drop our religion, get out of our box, and allow ourselves to become attractive to the world in which we live. We've got to be able to decipher between the two because the enemy loves to assault the non-negotiables and try and make us think that the non-negotiables need to be changed in order to become attractive to the world. But then all of a sudden, we've got a powerless gospel. We've got a loveless gospel. We've got a graceless gospel. We've got a gospel that no longer can work. Listen to this. Paul said, a great door has opened up for me, but there are many adversaries. No one responded to Jeremiah. Do you think he ever felt like, man, this isn't very successful? How can this be God's plan? Do you think Jeremiah ever felt, no one's getting saved, no one's putting money in the bucket, no one's helping us on this mission? Maybe we should just stop. Maybe they are right. Because they've got the massive church. Everything's booming over there in Jerusalem. But man, nothing's happening here. Maybe we should go over there. But no, we have to stay true to what God is calling us to do. You have to rise up and you have to begin to claim the promise of God that we heard last night. I am a chosen generation. We are a chosen people. We are special. We are different. We are distinct. We are not like, we are not ordinary because of what Jesus has done. We have to grab a hold of the promises of God when opposition comes against us, just like Jesus did in the wilderness. He didn't stand there in the face of the devil and start just saying, yeah, come on, keep bringing it, devil. He replied with the promises of God. He replied with the word of God. He shut the enemy down in his tracks by affirming God over the enemy's voice. And that's what we must do when we come against it in our mission. Thirdly, train for the trial you're not yet in. Train for the trial you are not yet in. You know, many of us, when we think about running against horses, if I said to you, you're going to run the London Marathon next year. What would you do? What would be your first thing? If, not if I said, do you want to? Because most of you would say no. If I said, you are running the London Marathon next year. Well, the first thing we would do is start training. Because if we don't train, we're going we're gonna to kill ourselves trying to run the London Marathon. We'd probably try and do a 5K. Then we'd keep doing a few 5Ks. And then we'd work up to a 10K. And then we'd, when we'd done a few 10Ks, we'd do like, you know, a half marathon or whatever. And then we'd do, try and do a marathon. And then we'd keep, we'd keep training so that when we get to the trial, when we get to the track, when we get to the start and the gun goes off, we know we have prepared and we have every opportunity to succeed. Life is a bit like that. 
Jeremiah, God was calling him to train for the trial that he was not yet in. He was saying to Jeremiah, look, there's coming a time when you're going to have to run against horses. So you better learn, Jeremiah, from what you're going through now. Jeremiah, you better understand the lessons that I'm trying to teach you right now, right where you are. Because one day you're going to be up against horses. And if you don't get what I'm trying to say to you now, then how are you ever going to run against horses? How are we ever going to run the marathon if God is trying to show us lessons that we need to do now and we're ignoring him? How are we ever going to finish well if we're ignoring God on the little foxes that are in our lives? The little things that are attempting to spoil the vine. Little things that we we put under the carpet and we think, oh, well, it's okay to have that there. It's not really hurting anyone else without getting too close to the bone. We all know in our generation what some of those things are. They're things that are seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy is trying to use them. He's trying to lure us into a sense of, it's okay, just leave that there. Everyone has a thorn in the flesh. Everyone has some issue going on. Everyone has a few skeletons in their closet. Well, actually, God calls us to bring our skeletons out of the closet and into the light. God calls us to bring our lives into the light of his word, into fellowship with one another. And it's a vulnerable thing, and it's a difficult thing to do. But let me tell you now, if we don't train, if we don't get our lives right now, then how are we ever going to win the race that God is calling us to run? How are we ever going to have true kingdom impact What is going to stop the enemy coming and jeering us and pulling us away from the calling that he has put us on if we can't be vulnerable now? There's no perfect people on this planet. Preachers aren't perfect. People that go to church aren't perfect. Leaders aren't perfect. All of us have weaknesses, areas that the enemy can use, places we need to train, build up, strengthen, things we need to avoid so that we can be the kind of kingdom people that God wants us to be. We've got to train for the trial you're not yet in. Job, slotting this in here, Job 31, he made a covenant with God that he wouldn't look lustfully at a woman. Now let me broaden this away from that topic there. The principle of what Job did is He was saying, one day I'm going to be in the fire. One day I'm going to be against temptation. One day I'm going to come up against some stuff. And I want to make a covenant right now so that when I'm in that situation, I'm not battling it there. I've already made my decision now. That's a good thing to do. Job understood how to train for the trial that he wasn't yet in. So did did Jesus. So did the Apostle Paul. So did Peter. These were men, and there were women in the Bible too, who understood how to train for the trial that they weren't yet in. And we must do the same. To have the true kingdom impact that he's calling us to have, we have to focus on getting our lives right before him. Surrendering, being accountable, being faithful. Number four, very quickly, God puts to use what he puts you through. God puts to use what he puts you through. See, it got harder for Jeremiah when he got out of Anathoth, and God never wastes a trial. Little story 
had a friend in Africa, came to Bible college with me, lives in Africa now. And me and him both loved something together. He loved chicken and I love chicken. I love Nando's. Nando's is like heaven. You have a Nando's in Lowestoft? No. You need one. We need one in Cumbran as well. So. But when I, when I went to chicken, eat chicken with him for the first time, I ate my chicken and then kind of left the, the bones on the plate. And I noticed something. Five minutes after the meal had finished, we're still talking. He's still eating. And I'm like, what's he eating? He'd eaten the whole of it, bones included. He didn't want any of that chicken to be wasted. He wasn't willing for any of it to be wasted, even the bit that I thought was rubbish, even the bit that I wouldn't eat because it was bone. It was dung. It was like, you don't eat the bone, but he had eaten the bone. And this is an illustration of not wasting anything. Can I say to you, the bone of our life, the mess of our life, the pain of our life, the trial of our life. God doesn't want any of it to be wasted. Nothing that you have been through is wasted. No trial, no race that you have tried to run, no tragedy, no no situation, no self-harm, no addiction. Nothing is wasted when you give it to God. When you give it to God, bones and all, nothing is wasted. God always puts to use what he puts you through. The Bible puts it like this. Those who sow in tears will reap in joy. It puts it like this, all things work together for good to those who love God. Sometimes we feel like following God sucks, like life is so hard, like how can it get any harder, Lord? And sometimes he's just saying, look, this trial that I'm putting you through, the reason I'm not pulling it out of you, because that bone is going to form the structure that's going to be the base rock of your life and ministry and calling. And if you can just understand the power that is contained in that bone when you give it to me and allow me to flesh out that trial, put some skin and some muscle and some tendons on it, get the blood pumping around that trial and that tragedy, I'm going to form something absolutely beautiful that is going to display the glory of God to a lost and dying world. God never, put, never misses anything that he puts you through. Lastly, your strength will fail. And this is where I conclude this. The fact is, Jeremiah was called to run against horses, but no one can do that. None of us can do it. It's outside of our control. It's outside of our reach. It's outside of our energy. And sometimes the things of God are a bit like that. Just like for Jeremiah, when he looked back at God and God wasn't modelly coddling him, he was propelling him. He was saying, come on, Jeremiah, put your life in my hands and trust me with what I can do. But the truth is, and I'm going to deflate you all right now, none of you in this room, preacher included, Whatever capacity, whatever ability, whatever training, whatever we try and do, every single one of us, my fifth and final point is this, your strength will fail. Your strength will fail. Your strength will fail. My strength will fail. Our strength will fail because there is absolutely nothing that we can do to achieve what God is calling us to do on our own. But the Bible has a promise for that. The Bible has an answer. You see, if you want to run against horses, if you want to achieve the calling and the destiny that God has for your life, if you want to truly live in purpose, and if you want that call to not just be a call which you can achieve, 
but something much bigger that you can achieve so that it will go on through the generations and so that your life will count in eternity and so that other people, maybe your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren or your great-grandchildren will look back at your life and look at the legacy that you've left, then you've got to get that promise involved. In Isaiah 40, verse 31, which says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, if you want to run against horses, then you're going to need a God who won't allow you to become weary. If you're going to run against horses and be valiant and get to the end and run your race well, then you need the supply of a God who says that if you wait on him, if you are still and if you focus on him, then he He will give you strength. If you are going to run the race well and complete it to the end and have a great marriage and a great family and a great life, and if you're going to make a dent on eternity with your earthly little bit of time, and if you're going to live outside of the ruler and the clock and the diary and the width of this room and the length of this room, if you are going to live bigger and wider and more more prominently than that, then you're going to need a God to get involved who is living and active and real and powerful and glorious and holy and triumphant you're going to need a God who is sitting on the throne and isn't going to be moved off his throne you're going to need a God who doesn't get weary and neither slumbers nor sleeps you're going to need a God who when you're asleep at night and the enemy tries to intimidate you and he wakes you up with fear and he brings sin before you and it's the night season you're going to need a God who is still awake still active still powerful and still on the throne and his name is Jesus The Bible says if you will wait on the Lord, you will run and not be weary. You will walk and not faint. We want to have kingdom impact. We want to be people of the king. That's what it means. We don't want to just live for ourselves. We want to go further. We want to go deeper than we've ever gone. And I believe passionately that God is calling each one of us in our sphere of life, in our platform, whatever you want to call it, in our town, in our city, wherever we are, he is calling us to bigger, wider, and deeper things. And it's all through him who loved us and gave himself for us. He is most glorified when we are satisfied in him, when we are fully satisfied in him, to quote John Piper, if we can just be a church satisfied with him, that's willing to wait for him, that's willing to rely on him, our destiny and our calling is sure after that. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you, Lord, that when our strength fails, when our energy runs out, when we feel like we have nothing left in the tank, And still you are calling us to kingdom impact. Still you are calling us to our destiny and our purpose. But we feel so inadequate. Thank you for Jeremiah. Thank you for this life that was lived before you. Thank you for how you handled him. Thank you for how you didn't pussyfoot around him, but you challenged him. Thank you for the call on each one of our lives. And I pray now, Jesus, that you would literally come, take this word, graft it into our lives. Lord, as we wait for you, we know that you are going to do what only you can do. We give you all of the glory and all of the praise. In Jesus' name.